and welcome back to another episode of Mormon History Podcast. This is your host, Skyler. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Just a reminder, you can reach out to me by emailing me at mormonhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a message at the Mormon Discussions website. Or you can reach out to me on Facebook through the Mormon History Podcast Facebook page. And thanks for anyone that's reached out recently. There's a lot of uh, good messages, and I appreciate that even if I haven't responded back yet. As another reminder, if you want to listen to a non-Mormon-related podcast, I also do a new podcast called Critical Darkness, where... I discuss some kind of obscure true crime. So check it out if you want. Let's see what else is going on. Uh, I've been sick the last couple weeks, and so I apologize for not doing a podcast last week. I'm also in the process of remodeling my house, and I'll be getting married in the next three weeks. So things are kind of hectic right now and a little bit busy. If you have anything specific that you would like me to discuss, uh, feel free to email me and I will take that into consideration. Today I want to talk about the Book of Mormon. And I know that I've talked about it a couple times before, but right now it's kind of in my head about how the church is possibly going to steer clear of the Book of Mormon being this historical document written by these Nephites and Lamanites and, you know, people in America, and how they're going to, you know, try to turn it into this translation doesn't literally mean translation, but it means revelation. And so I want to get into a little bit about some of the issues with the Book of Mormon, which are not things that I've discovered per se. Um, There's plenty of things that you can read on the errors of the Book of Mormon, whether that's through the CES letter, whether that's through the internet, generally speaking. Uh, I'm going to read some information from a website called apologeticspress.org, which I believe is just a general Christian website, and they talk about some of the issues with the Book of Mormon. And the reason why I'm going to utilize that website in this particular episode is because it correlates with some of the things that I've talked about before about this fraudulent language or the idea of why would a uh, Egyptian type of language be used. And then also, I believe I talked about it on one of the episodes as far as some of the different things in the Book of Mormon where it would have been like translating from German to Spanish to English instead of just going from German to English kind of a thing. Like when you have the Beatitudes or some of the um, Isaiah chapters or things like that, which are supposedly written in a different, you know, an Aramaic language or Greek and then we get to it because it was translated from Greek to German to English. And in Joseph Smith's case or with the Book of Mormon, we're getting something that was 
written in Greek, but told to the Nephites in their language and written in this Reformed Egyptian, but yet the Reformed Egyptian language to English matches the Greek to German to English translation, which doesn't make sense. And so why does it matter? Why does it matter if the Book of Mormon is historical uh, versus just a production of Joseph Smith, either through God or just his own mind? And does it matter? Does it matter if it's not historical? And so I want to discuss some of the issues that we have with this historical aspect of it and the improbabilities as well as what does it really take to actually make uh, scripture and also make it unique. So there was a challenge, I I can't remember exactly what the guy's name is, but I want to say it's like the Alma 5 challenge, where he found all of these different phrases in Alma chapter 5 that were not found anywhere else but the Book of Mormon, but Alma 5. And it's like, well, how hard is that? And he even gave this challenge, like, I want you to create this, and it needs to have this and that. And I actually had written something which, you know, whether it sounds like scripture or not, uh, you know, you can judge that if you want to. I really don't care because it doesn't really matter. But I wrote it as just a sense of what does it take to actually just write the language, the phrasing, as if the Lord was speaking And so I wrote this thing real quick in like 30, 40 seconds, whatever it takes to read it is actually the length of time it took to write it. And then I took some phrases out of it, some four or five word phrases, did a reverse search on the internet, and quite a few of them have never been published in a book. So, you know, from my experience, from that very short aspect, it really didn't take that much effort, or at least... Uh, it didn't take a lot of effort for me to write this thing and have unique phrases of it. So I'll get to that uh, after I talk about the website uh, apologeticpress.org. So here's a uh, thing on their website called Fraudulent Language. It says, The original edition of the Book of Mormon, there is much evidence of fraud, that is, the use of words, phrases, and sentences that reveal an obvious attempt to deceive Instances of this are so numerous and so blatant, they cannot be ignored. The following provide just a few examples. So they're saying that, look, here's some examples, but really, like, there's so much that there's even more than this. Now, I will say that the first part of the list, uh, you know, has to do with, like, the elephants and the horses and things like that. But we're still going to include it just because I'm going to go through the list that they have. So Alma 37, verse 38, dated at 73 BC, speaks of the people using a quote-unquote compass. However, such an instrument was not invented until about AD 1100. How could there be a divinely inspired translation of a word describing something that did not exist? This is a mark of fraud. The next one, 1 Nephi 18, verse 25, dated at 589 BC, speaks of horses and asses, but these animals were unknown in the Western Hemisphere until the Spaniards introduced them about 450 years ago. Can anyone honestly believe that such a bungled mistake occurred as a result of divine revelation? 
The next one, Ether 919, speaks of elephants being in America when the Jaredites arrived, which was supposed to have been around 2250 BC. However, it is a well-known fact that elephants were not native to America. To suggest that they were is absurd and proves the Book of Mormon to be erroneous. If someone were to argue that elephants might possibly have been brought to America in the Jaredites' boats, such an argument could be disproved easily since elephants were not native to Bible land either. Next one, it says, Surprising as it may seem, no less than six times the Book of Mormon employs the abbreviation and it uses the um, and sign with a C and so forth. A usage peculiar to the 19th century. Subtitle of 2nd Nephi, Jacob 1, 11, Mosiah 8, 8, 23 and 5, Alma 3 and 5. It can hardly be suggested that such a symbol is a translation from ancient writings. This kind of mistake is clear and compelling evidence of the recent origin of the book. The next one says, in Jacob 7, 27, the French word adieu occurs. But how could a modern French word have found its way into these ancient plates? This is additional evidence of fraud and presents grounds for rejecting the Book of Mormon. Next one says in Jacob 3.11 and Mosiah 29.14, the word faculties appears. However, this is a term dating back no earlier than Middle English. Strange indeed that it would be translated from a word on an ancient plate dating over a thousand years earlier. Next one, 2 Nephi 29 verse 3 reads, A Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible. This statement is made in reference to the Jewish Old Testament, which is dated at about 550 BC. However, the word Bible is the English transliteration of the Greek term Biblos, which came into use over 1500 years later. In using the word Bible, the writer of the Book of Mormon made a serious blunder that shows the book to be of recent origin and hence fraudulent in its claims. Next one, 3 Nephi 15.21, is a word-for-word -word quote of John 10.16 from the King James Version. However, this version is somewhat less than 400 years old. And to make matters worse, the Book of Mormon even quotes the italicized word and that was supplied by the King James translators. Here the writer of the Book of Mormon unwittingly demonstrates his work to be plagiarism. The next bullet point says the entire 14th chapter of Mosiah, made up of 12 verses, is a duplication of Isaiah 53, 1-12. Interestingly, all 11 of the italicized words in the King James text are quoted, yet none is placed in italics, which indicates that the writer of the Book of Mormon apparently was unaware that the King James Version translators used italics to highlight words that were not in the original manuscripts employed in the translation process. Thus, Mosiah 14 had to have been copied from the King James Bible. So, just as a side note, just to make sure that we understand what that's saying, when the people were employed to create the King James Version of the Bible, they put in words that were not in the original uh, transcript. So if they felt like they needed to put an and, or if they didn't know what a word was and they just made one up, or if they uh, needed to explain something better, they would add a different word. 
And so they put them as italicized words so that they can dis- distinguish them from what was in the original manuscript. And so what this person is saying that if these italicized words are in the Book of Mormon, then it means that it was copied directly from the King James Bible, um, which I know that this is said in the the CES letter as well. So, um, you know, that is a big deal, even though some people might be like, well, what's the big deal? You know, it's a big deal because it clearly could not have been in the Book of Mormon uh, on the original plates if the plates existed. Going on with some more italicized stuff, Moroni 7.45, which is a quotation of 1 Corinthians 13.4-7 in the King James Version, is another example of fraud. In citing this verse, the writer included the italicized word easily, uh, when it says it is not easily provoked. However, the word easily is not in the original, but was placed there incorrectly by the King James translators. It is omitted correctly from later versions. That the writer included this word shows that Moroni 7.45 was copied from the King James Version. Going on in 2 Nephi 31.13 and other places, reference is made to the Holy Ghost. But the term ghost did not come into use until many hundreds of years after the Book of Mormon was supposed to have been inscribed on ancient plates. That the writer borrowed this from the King James Bible is indisputable. Going on, the word baptism is found in 2 Nephi 31.13 and other places, but this cannot be an actual translation of a word found on ancient plates because baptism is a transliteration of the Greek word baptisma and was peculiar to the King James Version. This word is clearly a copy of the early English term, demonstrating again the fraudulent nature of the Book of Mormon. Going on, the word epistle in 3 Nephi chapter 3, verse 5 is an obvious copy from the King James Version. Like baptism, the word epistle, epistolos, was left in the original Greek form but given an English ending. This shows the writer of the Book of Mormon was not very careful in selecting his words. The word Alpha and Omega appear in 3 Nephi chapter 9.18. These, of course, are the English spellings of Greek words found in the Bible. Revelations 1.8, 21.6, Since the Book of Mormon was not recorded in Greek, why were these words used? The simple fact is they were copied from the King James Version. 3 Nephi 20, 23-26, dated at A.D. 34, refers to Moses' prophecy about the Christ in Deuteronomy 18, 18-19. 18-19. However, the writer unwittingly used Peter's New Testament paraphrase of this prophecy in Acts 2, uh, 22-26, which was not written until around A.D. 63, This was almost 30 years too soon and thus proves the Book of Mormon is a hoax. So what he's saying there is, uh, you know, instead of using Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy, they used Peter's paraphrase of this prophecy, which was written later on. So they would have been better off using the Deuteronomy version. And finally, it says in the Book of Mormon, there are numerous instances where the writer uses words that were not relevant to his time. 
Rather, these are words peculiar to the English spoken in the early 1600s. Prayest, durst, thou, thee, thy, thine, hast, doth, knowledge, harest, cometh, thirsteth, etc. Did God really select these words for the Book of Mormon? This obviously shows the writer's exposure to King James terminology. And so, anyways, that's a list of just some of the things that they are focusing on when it comes to this uh, fraudulent language in the Book of Mormon. And so then it, it, it leads us to believe, well, all right, if it's a kind of a King James type of a thing, well, was God just using the translation into a language which was familiar to people, or did Joseph Smith just make it up? And there's quite a few people who are trying to find the smoking gun of the Book of Mormon. They're trying to find out where did Joseph Smith get these. You know, Richard Bushman has talked about these 19th century, um, you know, language that's in the Book of Mormon. Obviously, um, I have found, you know, some ties. There's a, um, a guy by the name of Isaac Watts who he had, he was a reverend, and he had quite a few um, books and, and uh, things that he had out in the 1800s that had a lot of different things from it. And and I posted this on Facebook once, but there's a lot of things that are found not commonly in other sources, but they are found inside of this Isaac Watson as well as Alma 5. You know, things like souls from hell, change their hearts, bands of death, chains of hell, uh, mighty change wrought before the bar of God, liar from the beginning, through the blood of Christ, eat and drink of the bread, ways of righteousness, the rising generation, tribunal of God, your souls filled, look up to God, true and living God, exercise faith in, with an eye of faith. And those are all things, phrases that are in the Book of Mormon, but they're also in the works of Reverend Isaac Watts, um, version 1, version 5, version 3, um, in the 1812-1813 time frame. And I'm not saying that that's uh, 100% correlated, but it just shows that he's using, uh, or at least in the translation, quote-unquote translation of Book of Mormon, there are these phrases that are common to the 18th century uh, religious Protestant type of, you know, uh, sermons and things like that go. So, you know, there hasn't been any major smoking guns that I've ever come across, um, but people are looking and there's a lot of research going into um, people trying to find these out. So one of the things that I did, like I said, I wanted to write something um, kind of in the voice of, of the Lord, if you will. And whether it sounds scriptural or not, like I said, it doesn't really matter at this point, but um, I'll read it and then I'll tell you how many things that I found that were kind of unique to it. So here it is. I came not into this world for my own glory, nor did I come to please the world. I came to fulfill prophecy. I came to cleanse the earth of sin from the beginning of time until the end, to separate the bands of Satan, even the fallen angel Lucifer. I came to fulfill a promise, even the very covenant made before the earth was. 
I came to take the bitter cup, and death shall not be abandoned to man, but shall be freedom. For in me ye shall overcome death, ye shall be given glory of every kind. Thou will not suffer as I have suffered, but ye shall pass the tests and trials, and become even as I have, a resurrected and perfect being. Perfect because ye have overcome death through the fulfillment of the prophets of old and gained eternal life. It is through the fire of refinement that ye have been cleansed and prepared to receive this gift. Take heed in these words. Believe that ye have been preserved to do good in this world. Love overcomes all fears. Loose the bands of sin with meekness and long-suffering. Anger and revile not against those that accuse you. Forgive those that seek to destroy you. Believe in my name, and you will be brought before God without condemnation, but forgiveness and grace. Fear not, for I am the Redeemer. And so I wrote that, um, like I said, just very quickly, as quickly as I could type, I wrote it. And when I did a search for different phrases from it, it came out to roughly 11 phrases that were not found in any other published documents that I could find, you know, with four or five words or whatever they are. And so... You know, does that mean that I could write a whole book um, with correlating, you know, themes and stories? Probably not. I mean, I don't know that I could do that. Does that mean that Joseph Smith couldn't do that with help? No. There are, uh, I will I will admit, you know, as a non-believer, I will admit that there are things in the Book of Mormon that I've read, and I went, wow, that you know, that's actually very interesting. And I've searched and searched, and there's nothing that I can find that correlates to what was written, you know, published beforehand. Like, there are unique phrases that only go to the Book of Mormon. But then again, you could take a lot of books. I mean, you could probably take one of the worst written fictional books and find phrases in it that are unique to it. So it doesn't it doesn't mean anything necessarily, but you know, if if we can't find a smoking gun, if we can't find this exact like thing that Joseph Smith copied or if we can't find you know, uh, someone else around the time with Joseph Smith that admitted to writing it or making it up, or if we can't, you know, find uh, anything that's, uh, you know, remotely close to it, then, you know, maybe he did write it and good for him. He produced, you know, a, a book that has been printed millions and millions of times and a whole religion now follows. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, study that's going on right now. Like I said, uh, with the book of Mormon and I will continue to look through phrases and as, as Google and other companies continue to scan these old uh, books and putting them out there will probably find more and more information and that's great i i love that so uh this was just an episode on making scripture if you will and is there any correlation to you know the historical issues of the book of mormon is the church going to go away from it is the church going to come out and just be like hey you know what this was just a, 
revelatory type of a, a book that is not not actually historical. They have made stuff like saying that it's not a historical timeline or it's not supposed to represent a historical timeline. But will they actually come out and say that it is truly not a historical record that was translated from plates? That I don't think they could actually do. But we'll see what the future holds. And I think that, you know, it's getting harder and harder for them to maintain a historicity of it because there's just so many things that science is showing is not plausible, where at the time of Joseph Smith, there just wasn't as much available in that uh, aspect to say, hey, you know, this wasn't quite right. But there was actually, I think, one of the very first anti-Mormon books actually brought up some of the things that's like, ah, this is not uh, quite plausible. So, you know, it's been around for a while, but uh, anyways, I'll leave that up to you guys to continue either down that rabbit hole if you want or to not. But um, like I said, if you have anything that you would like me to discuss or to try to find out, feel free to email me at mormonhistorypodcast at gmail.com and we'll see what I can find. And maybe I've, I've been thinking about this. I've got, like I said, I've got a lot of old uh, church books. I've thought about just going chapter uh, chapter by chapter and reading some of these interesting church books. So that might also be an option as I'm trying to come up with other, you know, uh, stories or things that I'm currently researching. Uh, I might just have to, in the meantime, fill up some time with uh, reading some of these cool books that I have. So that might also be an option. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Mormon History Podcast. Tune in next time for another discussion on history and Mormonism. And until then, have a good one.